Hello there you and welcome to the Culture File Weekly with me, Luke Clancy, and an episode in which we largely wander on the western seaboard with a long overdue visit to the Galway International Arts Festival. And even if we've learnt that intensely clement weather, otherwise known as sunshine, is to be feared and tut-tutted, it feels kind of glorious to wander again in the bright air through the city, past the adequate to excessively hydrated crowds, the clouds of glitter, the grind of busker's patter, and lugubriously thumb through the 2022 programme. Scale, as ever, is a well-used tool around the festival's visual art offerings, and even when the point is to conjure the enormity of planetary collapse, it looks weirdly great. John Gerard's flare, Oceana, first created for COP26, lights up the dockside with an enormous, you might think, resource-scoffing LED screen, displaying an animated gas flare come flag, come eye of Sauron, searing in its virtual doomscape around the clock, as relentless as heat death, if more seductive. A similar footprint is Annex, a former Irish entry at the Venice Architectural Biennale, now repurposed in a frighteningly spacious and unused, unfinished basement in a new block near the station. This steel pyre of Nam June Pate-like screens, plants and fans addresses us to our future in flames via the data centrification of Ireland, tracked in satellite photos and psychedelic heat maps, even as it burns and booms in one more unlovely, unloved concrete folly. There's work at the Connacht Tribune's former home this year, but not art. The venue has housed some of the festival's hit shows. Patricia Piccinini's 2015 blockbuster comes to mind. But the space is out of action this year, becoming instead a building site. Soon now it will offer somehow desperately, desperately needed office space. It's a hub, said a helpful Galwegian as we stared in. They're building a new footbridge too to Nuns Island, but not in time to take us to see Mars in the form of Luke German's hovering balloon sculpture of that name, which reduces the red planet to a manageably elephantine size. Mars hangs suspended in a rough space amid rubble and tents and multinational volunteers that lends the air of a refugee camp. It's all part of an effort, apparently, to focus on the future shape of what's being called the Nuns Island urban quarter. Anna Maria Pacheco brought her carved and painted super-sized wooden humans to the festival back in 2017 and returns with Remember, a new Galway commission that ushers visitors on stage among a crowd of giants at a terrifying and unspecified ceremony, conjuring, as the Brazilian sculpture's work so often does, powerful hybrid emotions while offering inscrutable moral instruction. The scaling up here has an unsettling power, the terror of which is no less potent for so many of the figures looking like Elon Musk. 
This spectacular deployment of resources is as prevalent at GIAF 2022 as urgent messages of depletion, unsustainable extraction and climate collapse. It's a tradition, of course, that work at festival scale requires big guns, big cranes, and in the case of French Company Off's parade of three-storey puppets bobbing down Shop Street, big giraffes. Vessels for meaning that crowds can consume and enjoy must have at least physical heft. Following that rule down at the docks, and not officially part of the arts festival, is a Dutch stretch tanker. The Thun Genius somehow executes a nimble three-point turn in the shimmery waters under the radiant eye of Gerard's flare, then heads off to sea, ceding its berth to the colossal marine research vessel RV Tom Crean. Turns out, when it comes to sitting quietly while somebody manoeuvres an inappropriately large object in an improbably small space, there's scarcely more joy or more hope in the supersized art world than in observing something immense, competently change direction and make for the horizon. And from the docks to Dominic Street, where at the Galway Arts Centre we meet Kerry artist Sean Lynch. Lynch's show, What is an Apparatus, offers to decode an incomprehensible world around us through improbable rituals, impossible legends and plain made-up stuff, from toppling statues to a folk dance that will rid a weatherspoons of evil spirits. All this is chronicled in installations and video sketches narrated by actor Gina Moxley that haze our world with wry comedy and folk myth. Culturefile met Sean Lynch in an apparently vandalised section of the show to talk about fake rock and true stories. As Goethe said, the truth is like a church bell. It sounds nice in the distance, but you don't want to get too close. The bigger the statue, the more impressive the wreckage. The ecstatic dream of the statue falling down off its plinth, hitting the ground below, and smashing into tiny pieces seems increasingly unlikely with new Tory laws today. We're standing here on the first floor of the Galway Arts Centre um, and the installation in these three rooms, which is um, some ceramic sculptures, some timber and glass and packaging materials that all somehow come together to make an installation. Uh, and then there's a video in the back room that's 20 minutes long that spins off some of the stories and associations with the sculptures that you see here. For me, I've always cared a lot about the difference between artistic labour and artistic product. And so when you have the product, it's all shiny and ready to go out the door. But there's these, for me, incredibly interesting moments in the making of something when it's so much more exciting than what it would be if it was ever finished. So you see a bunch of display cases here in various forms of... Um, some of them seem to be vandalised or half-made. Uh, one of the ceramic pieces has fallen out of the case and is on the ground. 
Literally, it's in a little pile of uh, brown shards on the floor. Yeah, Siobhan, who's taking care of the galleries today, told me that sometimes people are going downstairs to report that one of the sculptures <laughs> have broken. So I'm thrilled about that drama and the mise-en-scene of exhibitions and how exhibition making in itself is really pliable form to play with rather than just simply an outcome after hours in the studio. Fringe movements have begun to slowly undermine any need or use for a monument such as this. These actions will be undertaken in the belief that of all the threats to a figure of power, there can be none more damaging than marginalisation. And one of the things we had a good bit of time to do and experiment around was coming up with the recipe for this now obsolete material called code stone. And code stone, uh, is, uh, it's a ceramic, but it was used as an artificial stone, uh, especially in Georgian times. So, for example, the Rotunda Hospital in Dublin, if you look at the ornamentation on the top of it, that's code stone. There's a lot of incidental buildings around Dublin City that you'd look at it, think it's a stone carving, but in fact it's code stone, it's artificial, because the carvers couldn't keep up with the amount of building happening at that time. And a woman called Eleanor Code invented this material, that you could get similar results. So this is our homemade version of that. You know, with, with ideas of stone, people think it's the origin of the earth and that you take the stone from the quarry and it's somehow a very pure material and then you carve the, f the form is already in it. It's not what they always say, like Michelangelo. And I've, last while I've been thinking a lot about kind of aggregates and how like you have a recipe or you cook up something. And I think that's an, an analogy because the video in the background here goes on about the city of Edinburgh and all the monuments there. And it was shot in the middle of a lot of on, still ongoing civil processes around the monuments that exist there and their colonial histories. And I thought that actually having a recipe and messing around with a recipe and having loads of materials coming from different places to meet to form something is pretty much like the urban condition, right? That's how cities are formed. People come from afar, ideas come from afar. It's supposed to be inclusive and experimental and the joys of cities and urbanity. And, and somehow that's a reference point for me a lot of the time making exhibitions. A young architect has made a prize-winning proposal to dig an enormous hole and put the monument in there so that we can instead look down at it. I was thinking that particularly in a tourist city like Galway when we were walking around and, and there's some attempt now to give you a sort of heritage trail of, you know, this is Martin's Theatre was in this site. And, and, I, and when I came in to look at your work, I was thinking that there is this sense of somebody could just tell you a lie. You're not from round here, so we can make up any story about this or you might bring a story. And so that the, the, the actual, the city doesn't exist in some ways. Sure, um, like belief systems are based on lies and rumours as much as the truth, you know, or whoever has found the truth, I'd like to hear more about it maybe still, you know. That's about giving and taking and conversations and if, buts and maybes and that's a lot of the territory I'm interested in. Uh, the video downstairs is called What is an Apparatus and that's, it's an hour and ten minutes long now. And so it's a, a 19 short stories that uh, most of them are true or most of them I thought were true when I heard them but I might have mungled them around in my head and they became something else as well.
our, our lives, as, as I can see it, are uh, we're instructed in very particular directions by technology. Uh, the first technology is architecture. Uh, so we're told to go this way or that direction by the buildings we inhabit, right? And then it branches out from there and everybody knows how ubiquitous the mobile phones and the internet and all that sort of stuff is nowadays. And so that's very much about keeping people in their place and having divisions and boundaries and hierarchies, you know. I think there's other situations at play. All all that's an industry, all those things, technology is an industry. And uh, industry, by its very definition, does not involve tangential thought. And I'm much more interested in discovering situations or scenarios that point to a lived life outside of that. About 10 years ago, I did a project on the DeLorean motor car. And people are very familiar with that history. And it was built in Belfast and Back to the Future and all that. But when the factory closed, all the pieces for using to, to, to make the stamps and the shapes in the car ended up being taken to scrapyards and then the scrapyard sold it to fishermen and the leftovers of the DeLorean factory are out in the Atlantic now beyond Connemara. They were used as anchors on a fish farm. So the dream to make a sports car ends up being um, bits of metal that uh, swimming crabs and a lobster live in out in the Atlantic Ocean. So you can see how little control humanity really has of the world at large. And um, maybe it's a good time to dwell on that reality at this stage and in my own little way and trying to bite away at that. I was talking there to Sean Lynch and what is an apparatus is at Galway Arts Centre as part of GIAF 2022. The final stop on our Galway Festival tour is at the Opera to meet the video specialist Jack Phelan. His work forms an important part of Enda Walsh and Donica Dennehy's opera, The First Child, which opened at the festival at the Bailey Allen Hall. But a couple of metres from there is Wingform, the designer's other collaboration for the festival. Wingform is a touring installation which blends Phelan's digital animations and programming with the music of composer Barry O'Halpin and the Crash Ensemble to deliver a unique multi-sensory experience when Ireland's best-known new music group happened to be elsewhere. Jack Phelan talked to Culturefile about sound and vision, automatic art and the business of good digital curtain making. And uh, I've become quite interested in what video could offer and he started to write video explicitly into his libretto and I think that's where video can really find its way in because it's it's really part of the of the story I remember we had a meeting about the second violinist if what would happen if the video stopped working you know you you you, ha- you have these conversations about the various tech elements of a, of a production and quite often if if video stops working for some reason it's not a showstopper the show can go on but because some pretty crucial information about the plot was given through video in the second violinist it was obvious that the show would stop if video didn't work which is both good and bad because it puts huge pressure on you know on video which is the kind of newest discipline in live events but then it also makes you feel like your work is actually important and really adding something to the the production but I have worked on pieces that I feel like video has no place there and that can be quite tough
The first child really, I think, shows off the range that that video can add to a production. So in some places, it's it's just a light source. You you almost wouldn't know that it was a projection. But then it can go, you know, all the way to huge, fast-moving imagery that completely dwarfs the characters on stage. It can communicate information through text. It can um, show photographic imagery, atmospherics like mist and fog and rain. And then, you know, this one, my, some of my favorite stuff is actually uh, CG curtains. There's a huge set of curtains. And for a while, they're the only thing that are being uh, projected. And uh, it's the third set of digital curtains I've made. So uh, my, new, my new business cards are gonna just say digital uh, draperist, because I kind of have got them down to a T. Tell us a little bit technically about how you model curtains. <laughs> We're really going to put people to sleep here. Um, I use for all of that that kind of work. I use this um, uh, software called uh, Blender, which is a free and open source package that I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, and it's really incredible what you can do with it. One of the things it can do is is fully blown fabric and cloth uh, simulation. You can put in like fabric density the type of fabric, the number of threads per centimeter, the, uh, the weight per square centimeter, the density of the air around it, if, is there wind, how, how does that affect it, what's the friction of the rail, uh, things like that. So it's really fun, but it can be quite tedious and it's very time consuming to get the final set working and also in a way that's suited to live queuing because of course this has to be, you know, the curtains have to open on a command from from the stage manager to a musical cue that they've written into the into the book. So you have to think about how long do the curtains take to settle and will they be ready for their next cue in time and all these kind of things. A visualization of music has become such a big thing and you can go to incredible rounds in detail to sort of map music to video or visuals. Wingform is is an installation version of a composition by Barry O'Halpin, who is a composer um, and, and guitarist and is, is currently also um, a guitarist with Crash Ensemble, who are the band in the First Child Opera. And the music came first, obviously. Barry had written and recorded the piece I had a choice, I suppose, then, which was to either work with the music and do this thing of sort of um, explicitly mapping the sounds to visual elements and for there to be a really tight link between the music and what you see, or to really just use my notes from my chats with Barry and, and kind of work on something sort of in, in, in parallel and then just have them sit together. And I've done really tightly choreographed things before. and. I kind of find that they end up being a little bit uh, distracting because you have two senses that are sort of um, fighting a little bit because there's almost a, a weird, your, your brain is wondering, you can see the tight relationship between sound and, and image, but then it starts to scrutinize it for some reason. And I think that can kind of take you out of the music rather than putting you further into it. Wondering, okay, it's really, it, it, now 
obviously it's timed beautifully, but is this the right thing? Or, or maybe it's also constructively interfering with the music in that if you have a, a note and a, a visual element happening at exactly the same time all the time, you're at the risk of really changing the perception of the sound, I think. You know, that it really is, is then, I think, doing a disservice to the music because, you know, you're, you're maybe affecting someone's... Obviously, people can close their eyes. But that'd be a weird thing to do at a video installation. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm fine with it because that's the beauty of, the, of those LED displays is they actually... They're so bright that when you close your eyes, you still can get a sense of, of sort of light and movement. Then on the, the other side is, um, is then just trying to decouple that, but do something that is really, is really trying to respond to the same themes... And you end up in a very different place, but it, hopefully with something that has a mind of its own, but is exists in the same world as, as the music. Uh, Wingform is uh, touring Ireland. Um, so if you go onto Crash Ensemble's website, you can see where, you know, where, where it's going. There's something really nice about this, this uh, project, kind of being out there, being independent as in once once you set it up and press go it kind of essentially runs itself it's it starts up in the morning it shuts down in the evening by itself you do the work once and then it, it kind of keeps working for you and then crash ensemble can kind of continue and actually have something out there working for them that's not taking the place of live music because it's four spaces that don't normally have music it's a nice way to experience barry's work Jack Phelan there on wing form and watch out for that installation in a darkened room near you. And we finish this time far from Galway and far from certainty on a cloud of unknowing. But in the company of Tygo Sullivan for his latest voyage into the endless space of the unknown, the filmmaker goes in search of an origin story for our datafied world and finds it in 1880. What were the, what were the skies like when you were young? They went on forever. When I, we lived in Arizona, and the skies always had little fluffy clouds in them. Uh, I was born, I was told, at the start of a remarkably hot summer. It was, I was told, a summer of endless, cloudless skies. At that time, it was one of the hottest summers recorded, beaten since into mid-table mediocrity by a series of subsequent heat waves which I have a patchwork of vivid memories and a few photos in folders somewhere. The last seven years have been the hottest since records began, a phrase that is generally understood to mean since 1880, when continuously recorded climate information became truly global. The late 19th century was an era of data and statistics, of census analysis, of business indices, of educational records, the recording of detailed information, the plotting of graphs over time, the improvement of future outcomes through insight from past trends. These were the ultra-modern ideas of the day, folded into advances in mathematics, concepts from evolutionary biology, high-speed communication, and a general codification of knowledge and things. 1884 saw the invention of the machine-readable punched card, an innovation encouraged and accelerated the use of data and statistics in public health, business, population analysis, meteorology, and countless other fields. 
Herman Hollerith's invention, a kind of machine memory, would become the backbone of 20th century computing. In 1911, his company merged with three others to become the Computing Tabulating Recording Company, renamed in 1924 IBM. 1884 was also the year in which Jorge Luis Borges, writing in 1942, chose to set one of his greatest stories, Funes the Memorius. It is the tale of a Uruguayan savant, Irineo Funes, who after an accident is left with a seemingly infinite capacity for memory. In the town of Freybentos, the narrator meets Funes, who claims, I myself alone have more memories than all mankind since the world began. The young man sits alone in a dark room, able to recall days of his life in their entirety. He remembered not only every leaf of every tree in every patch of forest, but every time he had remembered or imagined that leaf. He knew the forms of the clouds in the southern sky on the morning of April 30th, 1882. Local meteorological records exist prior to 1880, of course. An entire science, paleoclimatology, reaches back millennia, mapping the world's climate across time, using tree rings, ice cores, the shells of ancient crustaceans, chemical deposits, and other proxies. The human record of our weather is vast, however incomplete and unscientific, from oral histories of great floods to accounts of failed harvests to the timeless obsession of artists with the sky. There is no shortage of material from historians of the weather. Within the arts, the most dramatic example is surely 1816, the year without a summer. Across Europe, a great red-tinged cloud hung in the sky, carried from Indonesia, where the previous April, Mount Tambora had erupted in one of the most devastating volcanic events the world has ever seen. Hail and frosts marked a remarkable June in the northern hemisphere. Crops failed, and a continent reeling from years of war fell under a dark spell. The English writer Shelley and her husband-to-be Percy travelled to Lake Geneva. Stuck inside, in the miserable weather, they took to telling horror stories. Frankenstein emerged from this gloom. Elsewhere, painters such as Caspar David Friedrich, Joseph Turner and John Crome captured the strange skies, the perpetual darkness, the eerily faint sun, the clouds, the endless clouds. Looking at the paintings of 1816, it is hard not to feel a shiver at the apocalyptic, murky haze that hangs over everything, to feel a chill at the sight of this cold, red world. These events mark a kind of twilight of the subjective record, occurring as they did mere years before the first photograph and the dawn of the great statistical age in which we still live. The world since that time has been measured and recorded in ever greater detail. Information and image, the two strands of a new objectivity, steadily accrued over the century that followed in the service of business, science, education, sports, technology finding darker application in the areas of eugenics, criminology, security, war, exploding finally into almost every aspect of human life, from Fitbits to key performance indicators. The relentless mining of data turns up new ways of measuring, recording, predicting, knowing every day. Our infinite library of information 
is kept on an infinite series of punched cards that spin incessantly, consuming enough energy to affect the climate data that are in there somewhere. Graphs of global temperatures, with their relentless upward trajectories, are lost in a rising sea of data, a vast cloud of unknowing. If you search the more obscure corners of YouTube for clouds, you find all sorts of strange and pointless things. Five hours of flying through Cirrus and Cumulus, set to soothing music. A handheld shot of the sky from a bus stop in London, 2012. Dutch bad weather in 2011. Through IBM's new Blue Cloud offering, businesses, governments and researchers can do things they never imagined with cloud computing. You can recall, if you like, the clouds in the southern sky on the morning of April 30th, 2022. When Borges' narrator visits Irenaeo Funes for the last time, he finds the young man tormented by his own mind. He can sleep only by turning to the one point on the horizon unknown to him, a peaceful blank space that mercifully evokes no memory. In spite of the infinite knowledge that Funes can call to mind at any instant, our narrator suspects that he was not very good at thinking, to think is to ignore or forget differences, to generalize, to abstract. In the teeming world of Irenaeo Funes, there was nothing but particulars. That was Tygo Sullivan there, in and out of a cloud of not knowing. And that brings to a close this edition of the Culture File Weekly. We'll be back with more nebulous pleasures next Saturday evening here on RTE Lyric FM and whenever the mood takes you via podcast. Bye now.